It has been a fun weekend, and there's a lot of content, and I'm not lying when I say that. My desire today, through the Jewish festivals that we have been studying together for a number of weeks, is to show you how God has given us a picture, a plan through the Jewish festivals for his redemption of humankind. And I'm hoping, like, I, when the first time I checked this out, I was like, no, this can't be. And then the more I got into it, just blown away by the sovereignty of God and his great plan. Any guys remember the 80s, the TV show, the A-Team? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, B.A. Baracus was definitely the coolest. But, like, one of my favorite characters was Hannibal because he loved it when a plan came together. Remember that? Some of you are like, I've never seen that show. You're an old man. <laughs> that, that line, what I want to do today is demonstrate how the plan of God has come and is coming together. And it's incredible. So I'm going to read one verse from Leviticus 23, where we've studied for the last six weeks, seven different festivals. You should have gotten a white sheet that looks like this on the way in. Go ahead. Do me a favor really quickly. Hold it up so I know that you have one. You, you are also going to need a pen. There is a bunch of pens in the book rack in front of you. And some of you, when you came in, you were like, dude, I'm not, I'm not taking that stuff at the door. That's what I would have done. You're going to need this. So we got the ushers that have plenty there. If you don't have one of these, you don't have a pen. You're going to need both. Look, you took an hour out of your day on a Sunday to be here. You're not going to get anything out of it if you don't have this today. It's going to be way too much information. So make sure you got one and you got a pen ready to take some notes. If you're attending online right now, you can take this as well online. They should have this listed somehow, a picture of it, and maybe you can get a pen and paper and write all of this down as quickly as possible and try and get all this information, okay? Now, I'm going to tell you when it's time to write something on there. You don't have to do anything yet. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4 says this. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies. You are to proclaim them at their appointed times. So you're like, dude, I missed this whole series. Am I going to get anything out of today? Yeah, it's going to be incredible, but stick with me. All the way back in Leviticus 23, 1,500 years before the time of Jesus, God gave Moses and the Israelites when they were living and entering into the promised land and even there in uh, the wilderness for 40 years, these different festivals that they were to celebrate. And they had specific times and dates. In fact, I've got a calendar of the times and dates. If you want to snap a quick picture of that, that might help you a little bit. But Passover was always the first month of Eve on what day? 14th day. And then the very next day was the Festival of Unleavened Bread kicked off this week, essentially. And it started on the 15th day. The Festival of First Fruits. It says the 16th day, but the truth was it could be anywhere from the second to sixth day. It changed when the Festival of Fruits would occur. Festival of Weeks was on the third month on the sixth day, which, as we'll study here in a second, was 50 days after the Passover. But keep in mind, in every single one of these, it tells Festival of Trumpets, first day, Day of Atonement, tenth day, Tabernacles, those days. He was very specific when everything was going to occur. Would you agree? Why was he so specific? I mean, even down to the point that, if you remember all the way back at the beginning of the series, and we'll look at this in Exodus chapter 12 in a moment, when was the Passover lamb to be slain? Anybody remember? Anybody? Three, three o'clock, is that what you said? Uh, three o'clock in the afternoon at twilight. Yes, twilight 
is what it says in Exodus chapter 12. They had a quarter system of how to tell time, and it was at 3 p.m. in the afternoon for 1,500 years before the time of Jesus. He said, that's when you do it. Why was he so specific? The Hebrew festivals, there were two words that they use as, uh, in Hebrew in the Old Testament for the festivals. The first one was moed, and it means appointed time. This was a moed was like, you put this on your calendar, appointed time to meet with somebody. And so God says, I want some moeds throughout the year, and you're going to meet with me at these specific appointed times. The second word they used to describe the festivals were the mikra, or convocation, literally a recital or rehearsal. So these festivals that you had every single year were a ceremony, a convocation, or a rehearsal. If they were a rehearsal, what were they rehearsing? Have you thought about that? See, what I hope to do is, through our short time that we have together, have you chart out all of these festivals, both in the Old and the New Testament. And I believe what you're going to see through this is that the Jewish festivals actually demonstrated a rehearsal system for how Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and will come. You're like, what do you mean? I can't wait to show you. The bigger thing, though, isn't just whether or not we can see this so clearly or not. The bigger thing is, why does it matter? See, if God's plan is so sovereign, it's so big, that he knew 3,500 years ago how everything was going to plan out, it should change the way that we live today. One of my favorite verses when I first became a Christian at 19 years old was uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know that verse? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And it taught me at a young age, like God has a plan for my life, for your life. And it's a good plan to prosper you, not to harm you. A plan to give you a hope in a future. And that really encouraged me that like, hey, there is, there is a purpose to my life. And I began to live differently, to follow the Lord in my life. And then you know what happens? Life happens. <laughs> and then hard stuff occurs. You don't get the job that you work so hard for. Your boyfriend breaks up with you. Your girlfriend breaks your heart. Your parents leave You eventually have trouble with your children or your grandchildren. You lose a loved one. Pastor Darren in our church just this week, just this week, lost two friends in very traumatic ways. God's plan begins to be questioned when you're going through stuff like that, doesn't it? There's an awesome family in our church that they had this beautiful girl, and she's been fighting for her life every day at Riley, successfully, and doing much better from what I've been told that changes your perspective of God's plan a little bit when life hits, doesn't it? See, this side of heaven, there will be trials, the New Testament teaches us. There will be hard times. And God's plan, sometimes we won't be able to see it or to determine it. But to know that he is sovereign and he knows what he's doing and he's demonstrated over 3,500 years, he could have had any type of plan, but he made it a very detailed plan so you wouldn't have to question that he knows what he's doing. That's what I hope to show with you. My hope is that you take this, you put this in your prayer room when we're all done, you put it up on your refrigerator, on your mirror in the morning when you get ready, and the next thing, you're like, I don't know if I can get through this day, you look and you remember the sovereign God that we serve. Are you ready? Let's pray. God, uh, we just pause. Uh, we all have busy schedules, and we set this, side, this time aside. 
We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would speak to us and that we would hear you clearly. We love you, Jesus, and we give you this time. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You know, for those uh, who are any babysitters in the room, grandparents, aunts, and uncles out there, uh, as a dad of three kids, I talk about them quite a bit because that's pretty much all that my life consists of right now. But my amazing wife, who normally cares for the children and does pretty much everything, uh, was in California for the week helping her grandfather move, which meant yours truly was in charge of three children's lives. And I'm alive today. Thank you. Thank you. That needed a louder clap than that. What, What happened... But I'll tell you this, what I learned very clearly that my wife uh, has to go through every day that I usually only have in much smaller chunks of time is that it doesn't matter how great of a plan I have with young children, it's always 100% the wrong plan. Every single time. My, now, my boys, they are tough all the time, right? Like, we could, I could say, I got this great plan. We're going to go to the movies together. Dad's actually going to splurge a little bit, and it won't fail. Oh, I don't want to do that. I want to play video games. I don't want to go there, right? Like the plan's never good enough. Even my daughter, she is the sweetest thing in the world. God gave us the greatest gift. I always say wolves could raise my daughter. She is amazing. She's like a little angel from the Lord. But don't you dare ever ask her to take a bath. <laughs> you better be ready to fight <laughs> if you do something like that. And what I find is I've been reflecting on all of the entirety of God's re- great redemptive plan that we see through the Jewish festivals that's fulfilled in the personhood of Jesus, his first and his second coming, as we'll look here in a minute, is that in those moments where like a little child, I can question God's plan, I need to remember weeks like today. By the way, I believe if you're not a Christian, this is going to be a challenging, amazing message as we study scripture together, but especially this week for the Christian, that you've been a Christian for decades You need to take this in with fresh eyes, guys, and remember the great, powerful God that's on your side and his redemptive plan for you. Here we go. God's plan for the redemption of humankind through the Jewish festivals. And the first point I want to make today is the spring festivals in the Old Testament to remind us what happened. Let's do a little history lesson. We've done this the last six weeks together. Exodus 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, Remember, the Passover is going to occur. He's going to free them after the 10 plagues. And the last plague is the Spirit is sent. And those who have lamb's blood over the door will be spared. They will be saved. This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day, which day? 10th day of this first month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And so for 1,500 years, up till the time of Jesus, they always, every year, On the 10th day of the first month is when you got the lamb and you brought it into your home. Until verse 6, look with me at verse 6. Take care of them until which day? 14th day, verse 6. On the 14th day, when all the members of the community of Israel must, just a second. Why does he give these details 10th and 14th day? How many days was the Passover lamb in the home? Four. See, you guys are smart. I knew we could do this. Four days. Lamb's in your home for four days. And then it says in verse 6, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at what time? Twilight. It's according to the quarter system of the Jewish daily way of keeping time. That was three in the afternoon. 
So get your little white sheets out now. This is the part we got to start charting some stuff down. Underneath point one, Passover, Exodus 12, uh, right 14th day. 14th day. Every year, without fail, the first month, the 14th day is when it all started. And then underneath that, right four days, the lamb was in the home, four days in the home. Passover lamb, four days. It's okay if you have to take more than one line. I know there's not much room. We're not going to use all four lines every time. Passover lamb in the home for four days. And then 3 p.m., lamb slaughtered. 3 p.m., lamb would be given up and sacrificed at that time. We all tracking? This is just a little bit of review of everything we've covered in the series. Unleavened bread would start the very next day and comes from the story of the great exodus out of Egypt. So the, the night of the Passover occurs the next day. What does God do? He tells them to leave. Exodus 12, 31 to 32. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, Worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. So Pharaoh finally gives up after the 10th plague. He's like, can't take anymore. Just get out of here. So they leave that day. That's why it's called Unleavened Bread Festival because they didn't have time for the bread to rise. They just had to go. And so they had that festival for 1,500 years. Every year they remind themselves, we didn't have time for the bread to rise. We got out of there. So underneath point two, right, Israelites leave Egypt. They are on the move. They have left. Israelites leave Egypt. The next line, what day did this occur on? The 15th day. 15th day. So it's the very next day. So write 15th day underneath Israelites leave Egypt. Then finally, uh, underneath that, they leave Egypt and they're going to travel where? They're going to end up at the Red Sea, right? And we don't know for certain how much time it took that's why the Festival of First Fruits would happen somewhere around two to six days. But for our purposes, we'll just kind of take it somewhere in the middle there, and we'll say three days, three days to the Red Sea. So you write, Israelites leave Egypt, next line, 15th day, next line, three days to Red Sea, three days to Red Sea. Now, they haven't escaped yet, right? Like they've left the city, but they haven't totally got out yet. And they get to the Red Sea, and they're like, oh, Pharaoh and his army have changed their mind, and they're coming to kill us. So what happens next in the story? Exodus 14, verse 29 to 31. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground when the wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. So the waters come crashing back down and it saves uh, the Israelites in that moment and they cross on dry ground. So underneath that, right, uh, saved from Egyptians, Saved from Egyptians. They're free at last from the oppression of slavery. So released from slavery or freed from the Egyptians. Saved from the Egyptians. Underneath that, if it took them about three days, how, what day did it occur on? About the 18th day. So right, 18th day down there. 18th day. So free at last, released from slavery, 18th day. 18th day. We all tracking? All right, final one for the spring festivals. Remember, this was divided according to the agricultural calendar. The first four festivals through the Festival of Weeks was the spring festivals. And then the fall festivals began in the seventh month with the Festival of Trumpets. But Festival of Weeks under Exodus 19 to 20, we're not going to read all of it, but it talks about the giving of the Ten Commandments. 
for the festival of weeks, they would remember the giving of the Ten Commandments that taught them how to live. Now, they couldn't hold up to it, right? That was kind of the point, that they weren't good enough. But write down giving of the Ten Commandments. Giving of the Ten Commandments. Pretty simple. Even you at home, you can do this. I know you can. Then uh, how, what day did it occur on? Anybody remember the Festival of Weeks? What day did it occur on? 50 days after the Passover. Every single year, Leviticus 23, it was seven weeks plus the one day, 50 days after the Passover. So write 50 days after the Passover. So underneath that point, Festival of Weeks, you need giving of the Ten Commandments, and then you need 50 days after the Passover. We all tracking? Now, let me tell you why this is important. I'm going to read maybe the most important verse for our time together. See, the prophet Hosea, in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, says this. Come, let us return to the Lord. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. What's it talking about? Who's he? It's talking about the coming of the Messiah. He will come to us. Here's how the Messiah will come, according to Hosea 6.3. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Why does it say winter and spring rains? Like, why would it use this analogy of rains? Because every Jewish person knew the festivals revolved around the agricultural calendar. In order to have the spring festivals, you needed the spring harvest, which you needed the winter rains in order to have it occur. Leave that verse up there for just a moment. And then in order to have the fall festivals, you needed the spring rains, or these two rainy seasons that occurred. You couldn't have these festivals without them. Why would the uh, prophet Hosea use that analogy? What's he trying to make a point of? Well, a couple of things. One, spring and fall. And secondly, the, the coming of the Messiah will be like those two seasons. And how many times will it occur? Twice, right? That Hosea in there is saying, saying the Messiah will come like the winter rains and like the spring rains. What I want to show you is that I believe in the Bible, God actually gives us a picture of how Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come. And according to Hosea, it would be like the winter rains and the spring rains. Another translation says the former rains and the latter rains. And so what I want you to do on your little chart, over the first four festivals, make a big bracket from Passover to weeks. And right above that big bracket, I want you to write winter or former rains. Former rains. Okay? And then I want you to make another big bracket over trumpets to tabernacles and write ladder rains or spring rains. We all tracking? Stick with me because once you see all this, it's going to blow your mind a little bit. So if it's talking about the coming of the Messiah and he's going to come twice and it's two different times, two different seasons, what do you think the former or winter rains represent? The first coming of Christ. So next to the former rains on the left, those four, write first coming, the first coming of Jesus. And what do you think you're going to write next to the, uh, the ones of the fall? The second coming of Jesus. He's like, well, wait a second. What, what's going on here? Dude, wait till you see this. So if this is true, then the first coming of Christ should be represented in the New Testament according to the spring festivals. Would you agree with that? And, and here's what I want to show you. 
turn to John chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 2. In John chapter 12, he gives us some more details. Point number two, if you're taking notes, is the spring festivals in the New Testament. I want to look at the spring festivals in the New Testament. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So how many days before the Passover? Six. And then when does he do the triumphal entry? It says right here in John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day... That Sunday that we celebrate on Palm Sunday, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. You know the story, Palm Sunday, that we remember today. It begins Holy Week, the triumphal entry of Jesus on the donkey. They're chanting, uh, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. From Psalm 118, a a messianic psalm talking about the coming of Jesus. And they're declaring him king. And then on Friday, he is crucified. But you ever realize we got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday happening. What's happening during those days? He's going into the temple, and he's debating with the Jewish leaders. And he goes from blessed is the king to let's crucify him. So underneath John chapter 12, right here, right, Jesus spends four days in the temple. Or four days in the house of God. Temple is Bethel, which means house of God. So four days there. Now Mark chapter 15, verse 33. Mark 15, 33. I mentioned this earlier. At noon, it's talking about Jesus is on the cross now in Mark chapter 15. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And that's when he'll give up his spirit on the cross. At exactly three in the afternoon. So right down here, crucified at 3 p.m. So Jesus spent four days in the house of God and then crucified at 3 p.m. You noticing anything here? You kind of see where this is going. I'm going to move a lot more quickly here in a moment, but I want this to sink in. For generations, for 1,500 years, God instituted you have to uh, give up the Passover lamb to have it actually be slain at exactly 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th day at that particular time. And then the high priest would come out and he would shout in a loud voice, Tetelestai, it's paid in full. The sins of the Israelites are paid for one year. Jesus gets up on the cross on the 14th day when the Passover was being celebrated at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And in John chapter 19, his last words on the cross is, Tetelestai, it's paid in full. 1,500 years earlier, The first festival of Passover was given to demonstrate the way that Jesus would be crucified. Isn't that insane? But it's not just that. Let's do these others more quickly. Mark chapter 15, verse 46. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body. He gave up his his life now on the cross. He wrapped it in the linen, a place in the tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. So he's left this life. He's no longer here. Everybody has given up hope. And Good Friday, and we call it Good Friday, but it was actually a horrendous thing to anybody who was uh, following him at the time. And so he is buried, and underneath this, he's buried for three days. So right, buried for three days. He's no longer here, but he's buried. Next one, Mark 16, 1 through 6. For the sake of time, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus. All the men don't show up. They've given up complete hope. The women show up, but they got spices to treat the dead body because even they didn't believe because anybody can drift from him, even us in this room. 
And they get there, and there's an angel that tells them that he is not here. He has risen. And it was on what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Three days later, he has risen. So right, right under Mark 16, 1 through 6, third day, he rises from the dead. Third day, he rises from the dead. Finally, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, if you remember the festival of weeks, if you're new this week, you're like, dude, I don't get it. The whole sermon is online, but it's pretty simple. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given to the early church. It says this about it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Why were they all together in one place on the day of Pentecost? What does Pentecost even mean? If Penta, it's literally 50 days after the Passover. Why were they all in the home together 50 days after the Passover? They're celebrating the festival of weeks. This isn't debated. You can just do a quick Google online. On the day that they'd be celebrating the festival of weeks, of all the days the Holy Spirit could be given, it was given on that day. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So underneath that point, number four, underneath Acts 2, right, giving of the Holy Spirit. Giving of the Holy Spirit. So if the former reigns, if the first four festivals, the spring festivals represent the first coming of Christ, let's see how these line up. Fourteenth day, Passover lamb was, was slain. It was in the home for four days. At 3 p.m., the lamb was slaughtered. Underneath it, Jesus was uh, crucified on the 14th day. He spent four days in the house of God debating with them and then is crucified at exactly 3 p.m. in the afternoon, the same time the Passover lamb was slain for 1,500 years. Unleavened bread festival, the Israelites leave Egypt the next day on the 15th day. Three days they are uh, out, uh, it takes to travel to the Red Sea. Jesus, who is crucified on Passover, is then in the tomb for and buried for three days, and he is not resurrected yet. He's just, uh, I love that first Peter passage. I just read it this morning about how he's going to redeem souls. But then uh, first fruits, there's a whole Bible lesson there we don't have time for. Then the first fruits uh, released from slavery or they finally saved from the Egyptian oppression. Happened on the, around the 18th day, somewhere between the second and sixth day. And guess what? Jesus raises on the third grade, overcoming death itself, and finally freeing us from the slavery of sin altogether, redeemed forever, eternally. And then finally, they were given the Ten Commandments 50 days after the Passover when they left Egypt. And 50 days after the Passover, they're in the home in the New Testament. And now we are given the Holy Spirit. So we don't just have these Ten Commandments of how to live, but the power and authority to actually live differently. Isn't that insane? Like, look, you may be like a skeptic here. I get it. I was for a long time. And even as a Christian today, I'm a natural left brainer. My wife will tell you. I always like question everything. And, but I want to tell you, like, when you start charting this out, this should start blowing your mind, God. Guys, the, the sovereignty of God and what his plan is for the redemption of humankind spans 3,500 years. That he made clear that no matter what you're going through today, that you can look at his great plan and know he has not forgotten about you and what you're going through. And it should encourage you. It should change the way you live. See, today I told you, it isn't just for the non-believer. Today is for the Christian. I'm going to challenge you. The third point I want to make in our short time together 
is that these fall festivals then, both in the Old and New Testament, I want to walk through them very quickly. Remember the festival of trumpets. What happens? There is a trumpet blast, and it starts the 10 days of awe. So right up here, underneath uh, number 5, Leviticus 23, trumpets. uh, Trumpet blast starts the 10 days of awe. Every year, same time, always occurs. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 52. Millennia later, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. What's it talking about? You might be new to 1 Corinthians 15. It's talking about when Jesus returns. And Paul didn't know when it was, and we still don't know. Only the Father knows the day and the time. We don't know if it's going to be today or tomorrow or a a hundred years from now, or a thousand, or a million years from now. It's not our job to know. The New Testament does tell us very clearly there are signs, and there are an increasing number in our culture today of signs of the return of Christ. And we know that we are one day closer than we have ever been. And rather than just living in fear of that, we should be encouraged at God's great plan, his concern, and his redemption for everyone. Not everyone will choose to follow him, absolutely. But guess how the return of Christ is going to begin? Look at verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and they will be changed. The start of the return of Jesus begins with a trumpet blast. Not like Miles Davis, like jazz trumpet, although that'd be kind of cool. But the shofar, right? The horn. The blast occurs, and Jesus returns. So right underneath here, under uh, 1 Corinthians 15, trumpet blast starts second coming of Jesus. Trumpet blast starts second coming of Jesus. See where I'm going here, Day of Atonement. There is this story in Leviticus 23 about the story of the two goats or the sheep and the goat, right? And one of them is cast outside the city and one of them is kept in the city. You remember that story? All the way back to the Day of Atonement, that's what occurred on that day. They had that ceremony that participated in. So right here, uh, goats separated, or sheep and goat separated. Matthew chapter 25 then says this in the New Testament. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, the return of Jesus. Son of Man was actually a title given to him in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates, what? The sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. When he talks about the throne, it's literally the bema seat, which was in the Olympics during the same time period where the judge sat for the Olympics. And he uses that analogy to talk about that one day when Jesus returns, the trumpet blasts occur, he will come and judge humankind. And those in their humility were like sheep that heard the voice of the good shepherd and followed him will be brought into his family. And those that aren't, it says that the goats will be cast out, will be separated from him. Now, now listen, I'm going to show you in the last point, he wants everybody to receive him, and that's his heart and his desire, and it's why we're all still here. But humanity has the choice to continue to rebel or not, to re- allow his redemptive plan to sink into our lives or not. 
And he says he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. So underneath that part, Matthew 25, right, he separates the sheep from the goats. Separates the sheep from the goats. Finally, Festival of Tabernacles, my favorite one. What was it all about? Do you remember last week? No, that was like a week ago, right? It was always about that they lived in tents for 40 years in the wilderness in these tabernacles, tents, and God dwelled with them and took care of them. Remember the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle was there, his presence was there, and he took care of them for 40 years. So they would live in tents together in Jerusalem, and they would remember how God provided them for 40 years when they were a nomadic people because he dwelled with them. So right up here, God dwelled with them for 40 years in the wilderness or the desert. God dwelled with them in the desert. Got that? Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, after Jesus' return and the, he has sat on the bema seat and the whole judgment occurs and he puts the world right as it should be and there will be no more pain or suffering. It says in Revelation 21, 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, guys, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell. Literally, the word tabernacle means to dwell with. He wants to tabernacle with you. God will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Right underneath here, God dwells with us eternally, not just for 40 days in the wilderness, but eternally now. So if we got this chart and this plan, when Jesus returns and the trumpet blasts occurs, those who have heard the voice of the shepherd and followed him, doesn't mean you're perfect by any means. He is the only one that is good enough to redeem us. That's why he was crucified on the cross, rose on the third grave, paid for our sin and wrongdoing. We have to do nothing to gain it other than the humility, like a sheep who isn't an intelligent animal, hear the voice of the shepherd and turn to him in repentance and follow him. And he's going to return and put the world right and there will be no more pain and suffering and crying and death and guilt and shame and animosity and warfare and people talking and gossiping behind one another's backs and hurting each other and the brokenness that this life surrounds us with on a daily basis where the enemy is at work. It will be forever changed. And he could have just done it, but he wanted you to see that he had a plan that spanned thousands of years of human history, that he wants to dwell with you both now and eternally. And you may have been keeping him at a distance, and you just needed to hear his good plan for your life. And you need to repent and receive that. But I told you it's not just for the non-believer. It's for the Christian, the fourth and final point, that the fall festivals represent that this was for everyone. Not everyone will receive it. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 39 says, Jesus went through all the towns, villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to go send out workers into his harvest field. Why does he use this analogy of a harvest? That's what happened in the fall festivals when Jesus returns and puts the world as it should be, there will be a final harvest of those who know him, and the harvest is plentiful, guys. There are people in your family, in your friends, in your sphere of influence, in your workplace that need to hear this great plan for their life that God so intricately detailed down to the hour at times so you wouldn't have to question his sovereignty for each of us. And we have this season, there's only two times a year where culture is actually on our side 
Christmas and Easter, and I like to make jokes about Christers. It's funny. It is. Let's be honest. But the truth is, God can use it. And by a simple invitation of prayer, investing, inviting, you could eternally change someone's life this Easter season. We have six different options coming up, and I want to encourage you, if you can help us to register ahead of time, you go to mercyroad.cc, including those attending online right now, go to mercyroad.cc or our Facebook page, and you can find the link to actually register there. Look, you don't need a ticket to get in the door. We're not that lame, okay? But we want to make use of every single seat we got this season. I can tell you, we're going we're to run out of seats Good Friday. So help us, because we only have one Good Friday service. Register so we know how many seats to cram in here. And then on Saturday at the first service, that one's going to fill up quick. And the last two on Sunday are going to fill up quick. If you don't care which one to go to, go to the last Saturday or the first Sunday. But utilize this time. Pre-register online so we know that you're coming, because we can add, cram more chairs in if we need to. We can have overflow space if we have to. But pray, invest, invite, eternally change. The the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would transform the lives of those around you. We have seen it happen time and time and time again. We had 70-some people give their life to Christ just last Easter, and many of them later on got baptized right here. What could happen this next week? And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 11. Verses 25 and 26, it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening apart until what? The full number of the Gentiles has come in. We're all here still because the full number of the Gentiles haven't come in yet. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Who do you need to pray, invest, and invite? God, in his compassion, continues to wait for that next person and that next person. And not everyone's going to receive him, but point number four, it's for everyone. Everyone, everywhere. And who, right now, that you're going to encounter this next week that you could invest in, that God has strategically, supernaturally placed you in their life, how could he utilize you? The final thing, and I know it's a long week, but I love this stuff, and I nerd out, and I promise next week won't be like this, so i got to get it all out right now. The, the final thing, I believe this is like very clear in Scripture, God's great plan for the redemption of humankind. But I'm going to share this other thing with you that I, I don't know how seriously to take it or not, and I usually wouldn't share something like this, but I just think it's really cool. And it's about the, the life cycle of the development of a child. Uh, now, some of you, I had doctor, a doctor last night just tell me, that's actually pretty accurate. The, a woman's cycle, now everybody's different, right, but is around about 28 days. And ovulation occurs where the egg is released around 14 days, right? On the 14th day, kind of when this whole chart begins. And fertilization of the egg only has 24 hours in order for life to begin there in the womb. That next day, according to the chart, the 15th day. And then doctors will say it takes about two to six days for it to travel down the fallopian tube and be implanted into the wall of the uterus. The same time period. Remember, the Festival of First Fruits didn't have a specific day. It was two to six days. And then life begins, and I'm told that uh, there are different stages of a fetus, actually, but the full development happens around the third month, time of the Festival of Weeks. The child can't hear, though, out of its ears until about the seventh month. Festival of Trumpets on the seventh month, the first day. 
The child doesn't begin to produce its own blood. It lives off its mother's blood till the middle of the seventh month or around 10 days into the seventh month. And the child can't be, uh, live on its own, breathe until it can breathe on its own. Some of you that have had children in the NICU have experienced that. And around the seventh month and the 18th to the 23rd day is what I'm told, about the time of the festival of tabernacles. Uh, did God even give us a, a chart 3,500 years before modern science today would tell us all of that, of the cycle of a life being developed. I don't know, but I know this. God's in control. And he knitted you together in your mother's womb, counted every hair on your head, knows what you were going through, knows the hardships you have endured, knows the pain and the suffering, and he has not given up. And he never will. And it's for your sake that Jesus came and that he will come again for us. And set this world as it should be so that we could live for the sake of the other people in this world around us. And we get weeks like this to do that very thing. And so for the Christian, I'm going to ask you to respond. For those of you who are here attending online, who you've been kind of questioning, but you needed to see that there was some validity to the Christian faith to put your full trust in him. I want to give both of us an opportunity to respond. Will you pray with me? God, first for the person who walked in here and is kind of new to the whole Christian thing. And to hear about God's great plan for the redemption of humankind, that that is for them. No matter what they've been through, where they've been, who they've hurt, what they've experienced, that you've loved them and you've pursued them and you're calling them home. If that's you here and you'd like to receive his plan for your life, it's a good plan. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future, but not an easy plan. I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I need you. Forgive me for doing life without you. I receive your grace, your forgiveness. I believe in the work you did on the cross so I can live with you eternally and I surrender my whole life to you. Thank you, God, for those who truly mean that. And then for the Christian in the room that this particular week, you're gonna live for the sake of others to invest, invite, believe God could use your life to transform others. You're not just going to invite them to a service. You're also going to invite them into your home. Pray this with me. God, I desire this week and here forward to live for the sake of others. Utilize me, my time, my talents, my treasures this week. I am fully yours. We love you, Jesus. We give you this season. We give you this church and we give you our lives. We pray in your name and everybody said, Amen.